I don't know what it's like under Pedro. Apparently there was a lot of cones about the place, but nothing else happening. And and I think Green got the players on board. He got them on board, started picking up. I mean, we know what happened. This is Ibrox. Run away, run away tonight, leave the city, we'll be fine. Blowing up like dynamite, I never meant to make you cry. Make your mind up. Hello and welcome to your new weekly edition of this Ibrox, the Rangers podcast. You're very welcome. Good evening, my name's Scott Patterson and this week joining me in the pod, as usual, Tommy McIntyre joins us. Hi Tommy, how are you doing? I'm very well, thank you. Nice to be here. Yes, very welcome. And uh, a really special guest. We're, we're really, really pleased to say that this week we're joined by, by Jimmy Nichol. Hi, Jimmy. How are you doing? Hi, Scott. Tommy. How are you? Very well, thank you. Appreciate your time tonight. No, not at all. Look forward. So we should say this Cybrox podcast is brought to you by Triple H Mortgages, the one-stop shop for all your mortgage and mortgage insurance needs. Contact them at your earliest convenience in 01453. 887179 or via the email hello at com. They're available on the World Wide Web, as you'd expect, www.hhhmortgages.com and also available triplehmortgages.com on Facebook. If you are to speak to them, we recommend you mention either myself, Scott, or Tommy, or alternatively Willie, and the guys in there will look after you very well indeed. Tommy, um, we're into March now. Exciting month ahead, I think it's fair to say. It is, absolutely. And personally, my, my highlight is how smooth you're slowly getting at that uh, mortgages uh, intro. Uh, coming, every, every, week, every week it gets better and better, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> but, but it is, I mean, we, you know, I think we've got 19 days, you know, 19 clear days to, to set the season alight. If you like, you know, within that 19 days, you could potentially land 55th League Championship for... Um, Scotland's Premier Club and also potentially enter the quarterfinals of a European competition. I mean, the polar shift in power in this country when it comes to football clubs cannot be overstated what this squad, this management group, this board, these investor sets have managed to achieve and the fans have definitely got a, a hand in that as well. But what an exciting March. If someone would have said that to me, even in my more lucid moments at the start of the season, I might have thought, oh, that's, that's maybe a little bit optimistic. But here we are, and testament to everybody involved at the club for getting us to this position. 19 days, and it could all be settled. And how nice that we end that run at 19 days at um, our great rival's home. Jimmy, as a, as a former player and indeed a, a member of management staff, of course, I'm keen to know what your thoughts are for looking in um, from uh, an environment and being involved in the club now looking in as a supporter how have you found it looking in this season? Oh night and day honest to God lads I mean I, I didn't um, I'm like Tommy I didn't see the club being at this stage whenever I was there to be honest with you I mean I was that excited to go in don't get me wrong I was at Falkirk at the time a wee Paul Hartley and Paul had asked me to come in I think it was only about 10 days <laughs> 2 weeks whenever I uh, <laughs> Whenever they were good enough, Falkirk let me go for the opportunity. And I thought this was going to be great, but then, and then I seen things that I didn't, I didn't like, you know. So, and I look at it now and I turn around and think, it's completely different, the whole environment. I can imagine it being different. I haven't been at the, the training ground, I haven't seen it, but just what the producing on the park tells you what it must be like on a day to day basis going in the club every day. 
Can I just ask very quickly? Sorry, Scott. My it's okay, buddy. Carry on. Just, just on that, I mean, you know, you, I'm quite interested. Your point of view. You're desperate to join the club. Falkirk are really nice. Paul Hartley's really nice. They release you from your contract. You go in, and then the actual reality doesn't match up with the expectation. How disappointing was that? It was disappointing in the sense that um, there was there was players about the place who weren't in love with the game. They weren't in love with the game. They were they were didn't appreciate what was going going on around them. Didn't appreciate the facilities. Didn't appreciate the uh, anything in my opinion. You know. So and it took me two or three weeks in because I was very lucky. I went the very first day and I went met everybody and the next day they were flying to Florida for the break. So it gave me an opportunity for ten days to to be among the players and the staff and it was great that way. I really excited. And then it was only when we came back. We seen them training, we seen the ones that fancy training, the ones that didn't. And I thought, Jesus, this this is this isn't right, this, you know. But and the thing the strange thing was and Graham had them going again after Pedro and he got them going and they were doing well and and uh, so it was it was surprising in that sense because they'll get everything laid out in a plate for them, you know, and, and someone didn't appreciate it. And that's why I'm saying from from what I seen there to where they are now. I mean, I was out of my seat the other night sitting watching them. You know, it, it's great then. But the bulk of the good ones, the bulk of the good ones are, are you know, they're the ones I always knew that would come through, you know. Jimmy, I want to stick with you before we um, before we delve into the, the Antwerp game. Uh, some bits and pieces on your your two spells at the club. Nineteen eighty three, you signed with Rangers, part one of a of a two parter, if you like. Explain to us and indeed the listeners how how that move came about. Well, I I left Manchester United. I went to Toronto Blizzards and it signed a three year contract. And the season at Toronto was from about April till September October. And then all the boys, they were getting paid all year round, so all the Toronto boys, they all go to Bermuda and go to on their holidays and all. And, but I had to keep playing for Northern Ireland, so I had to find myself a club in Britain. Of course. So I just wanted, whoever wanted me for six months could have me, basically, you know. And I was sitting in the office. So the summer of 82, I went to Toronto. The 82-83 season, I went to Sunderland for six months with McCoist. And then I went back to Toronto, and then the following, the following uh, September, October, I went to Rangers for six months, and I was at Burnley, and I was sitting in John Bond's office at Burnley. I was supposed to go there, and um, the agent who set it up says, "Jimmy, here you go. There's, there's um, I've got you three hundred pound a week." I said, "Sorry, because I was getting paid by Toronto." <laughs> he said, "Their wages are three hundred pound a week, nineteen eighty three." I said, "That's alright." And then I go to and John Bond, meet John Bond. And John says, right, Jim, we've only got six months, but I hope you do well for us. And I says, great. He says, go and see the secretary. And I went to the secretary to sign the form. And the secretary at Burnley said to me, I'll never forget the Tuesday night. He said, you must be some player. And I just, why? He says, they're giving me £300 a week and £30,000 in a non-fee for six months. <laughs> I says, <laughs> I said, what are you talking about, £30,000 saying on? Yeah, I'm only here for £300 a week. He says, no, I've got to give you £30,000. I knew the agent was at it. I said, do you know what? 
See that contract? You can rip it up and stick it in the pen. I'm out of here. <laughs> and I never even said, I never even said cheerio to John Bond. I was out the door. And I was driving home to Manchester from Berlin. And I just, next day I was so down and the next day I got a phone call. This is, uh, it was Ian Monroe, ex-Rangers player. I played with him at Sunderland. I said to me, he says, um, uh, Rangers can't touch me to, to, to get your number to see. Would you be interested in going to Rangers? <laughs> he says, <laughs> I am the luckiest man in the world. I says, I don't want to I was up that road. I was in the Swallow Hotel on the Bella Houston Road on the Thursday night. And the same for John Gregg on Thursday night. Wow. And I went in train on Friday morning and John resigned. I'm <laughs> 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 kid you not. And John never even seen me train, never mind play. <laughs> and, uh, you made only £30,000 as I say, you know? <laughs> no, he made it, yeah. So... <laughs> I just wanted to come to Rangers. I'd, listen, I, I knew about results and all that weren't great, but it didn't realise it was bad as what it was because yeah. there was only 10, 11, 12,000 people that I brought in to. Right. Yeah. Aberdeen, Dunedin, they were winning everything. I think Rangers were sitting fifth. Celtic might have been fourth, even flipping sixth. We might have been sixth, they were fifth. And yeah. it was, uh, but it didn't bother me. I just wanted to. And uh, so, so that's how that came about. And Big Jack Wallace came two weeks later. So big, correct me if I'm wrong, but big John McClelland was around at, at that point yeah. as well. How how did that, that was that <coughs> almost a familiar twang, if you like, to be there in and around the, the first team squad? Yeah, uh, well funny enough, I, I was brought up in Rathcool and John okay. was White Abbey, so we lived near each other in, in Belfast anyway, so he went to Hopefield Secondary at the bottom of Rathcool Estate and I, I went to Rathcool Secondary at the top, so I knew big John in Northern Ireland, what have you, and so that was all right, but the best thing was, um, the best thing was, um, uh, Cooper, Big Jock came in at his meeting. Hey, he was going to turn things around. And, um, and I, I came out the dressing room afterwards. He said, come on, we're going training. And Davy Cooper said, and him and Bobby Russell was down there, forget it in the car door. And I says, oh, what about that? What about that? Was that great? And Davy Cooper says, Aye, the big man's quieter second time around. <laughs> <laughs> I said, well, he must have been mental the first time because I'm pumped to the eyeballs, mate. <laughs> <laughs> and we're only, uh, only there six months, but... Um, and, and, and that was it, basically. Whenever I had to go back to Toronto, and I thought that was my, my Rangers experience over, but I thoroughly enjoyed it. Big, won the League Cup, Coisty's hat trick. Yeah, and he, he slowly turned things around. I'm saying turned things around. Uh, it's not right for me to say that because I didn't know what it was like under John before that. I knew that positioning in the league and crowds weren't great, but but it was a, it was a memorable six months. So if memory serves me right, sorry, Tommy. No, thank, thanks, Scott. I'm just going to bookend that by asking, was there any moves at the end of that six months before you went back to Toronto to try and keep you longer term? I couldn't get out of Toronto. I couldn't get out. I'd only been there a year and they were very strict that way. So, um, no, there's no way I was getting out of it. I just thought that's it. Six months and then that'll be me and, and back and that was the end of it. But um, I was very fortunate um, what happened. And I've always been lucky, me, you know, but I was very fortunate because the next time was on the plane coming back from Mexico. And I was the back of the plane, Graham Shooters was there. He says, you've been to Rangers to help me. I says, ah, six months. Six months, loved it. He just went, ah, right, okay. Never said nothing else. That was it. 
Because I was at West Bromwich Albion at the time. Yeah. And I didn't know Graham was going into Airbrox. I, I had no idea that was happening. And uh, so I met him at the back of and that was it. And that's where that came about. So we'll come back to that later on. Hold that story. Tommy, I want to go back to, to last week. Um, Rangers welcomed Antwerp to, to Ibrox for the second leg of, of what, what seemed to be a... Um, I felt it was a bit of banana skin. I said to the guys last week that I felt that the, the Liège game, um, previously the last Belgian team we played at Ibrox, were, were more of a, a challenge than what I think we thought they were going to be. And I worried that Antwerp were, were going to be the same. Um, we started the game really, really well, I thought, and, and generally played very, very well. A couple of highlights for me. Um, I didn't think Alfredo Morelos could have played almost better than he did in the first leg. By goodness, he did, didn't he? Yeah, he was. He was absolutely outstanding. You, you, you're absolutely right to reference that. I felt, I mean, I was a bit more um, sanguine about uh, you know, the fact that we put, we put Royal Antwerp up to bed in the second leg as well, not a problem. But I think both legs were characterised by some moments of brilliance, but a lot of lapses in terms of concentration and discipline. I mean, some of the goals we lost are seemed certainly on the, in the first leg as well. They seemed like uh, the stealing that anything that Antwerp were hitting was finding its way into the back of the net. Yeah. But slowly but surely, and certainly in that second leg, I never felt that it would have to have been some monumental pieces of bad luck that would have overturned the fact that pound for pound in every department across the pitch, we were better than them. And eventually that would tell. And such was the story at Ibrooks. You know, yeah, they got back on terms. There, you know, there was a couple of lapses in defence. Uh, the one where Conor Golsing gets caught out is just that individual piece of brilliance by Rafailo, who was yeah. arguably best, one of the best players over the two legs, by Absolutely, the way. Absolutely, 100%. Come, come end his career, <laughs> but an absolute dynamite player with the intelligence. But ultimately, we were always going to... We were, all, we were never in trouble. And I'm not a big fan of that phrase, but I would have had to have taken a monumental series of blunders and wasted opportunities and chances for Rangers not to win through. Uh, it played out exactly how I think most of the story was going to. The, um, the Morelos finish, I thought, was really clever, but kudos to, to Ryan Kent for chasing down the left back and force him into that, that error, and um, Morelos was able to tuck it away. I, I just thought it... I don't want to say instantly put the game to bed, but I think it gave us a, a a comfort zone, almost like a pillow, if you like, to prevent us from getting any closer to us, Tommy, yeah? It's all about nerves with these things, isn't it? I mean, even when the fans aren't in the stadium, yeah. it's all about just putting that initial marker down. If, if, if Antwerp would have got the first goal in nine minutes, as opposed to us, then all of a sudden it's like, oh, right, okay, we, we need to get you know, get back on parity and start to, you know, engineer ourselves back into this tie because it does start to get in the back of your mind and away goals and all that good stuff. You know, we scored four out there. We get an early one and then it's a case of, right, how long do you need to manage this game? Yeah. And we were all, like I said, we are always on the front foot through both ties and that's probably something that's been overlooked. Yes, there was mistakes and discipline, but I can't think of a point in time where we played defensively. We were pretty much on the front foot across both ties. You're right, getting early goals straightens that down. And then Rangers, by and large, never really looked back. I mean, just going back to your original question, because I don't think I actually naturally answered it, which I know listeners will be used to, Jimmy, maybe not so much when I'll, I'll go around the house. <laughs> um, yeah, you're doing well to stay awake there, Jimmy, um, when, I, when I'm talking. But, um, you know, Morelos was unplayable, and it was nice and pretty cute at the end, where whilst also giving him a wee tussle of the hair, so to speak, in terms of his performance, 
there was a wee intrinsic, it'd be nice to hear Jimmy's uh, view of this having been inside the game from Steven Gerrard with, I know why Alfredo Morelos likes this tournament. It's the people who are watching it, yeah. which is fine. And if you want to engineer a move by performing on that stage, that's great. You also need to perform in your bread and butter league uh, as well, week in, week out. And I think Alfredo prefers the, the midweek games, if you know what I mean. Jimmy, I don't think there's any doubt that Morelos is um, is saving his better performances um, for the European games this season. Yeah, there's no doubt about that. What a difference in the man. I mean, over the two games, possibly the best player in the park in, the both, in both games. Yeah. He's his best player. I know there's some good performances. I know that. But I'm talking about because what we've seen in the past, there's always been, oh, what about his temperament and what about his selfishness? And he doesn't do this, he doesn't do that, but he pops up and scores goals. Is that the be-all and end-all, yes? So it was his overall performance, everything. I really, really enjoyed him. That's the most I've enjoyed him. And and I, I'm sitting looking at him and thinking, that, you know, the, 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 the games, have, there's 13 goals just scored in them three games. 13 goals. I mean, they beat Dundee and had them between at four. Yep. And they scored five. So there's 13 goals. And the three games before, Kilmarnock, 1-0, St. Johnson 1-0, yep. Hamilton one each. He only scored three goals without Aye. Morelos. Only scored three goals in the three games yeah. before them games. Yes. Now you've got 13. And the strange thing about that is he's only scored one. Aye. He only scored the one goal in them 13 games. But the fact he was in the team, yep. that, that was a turning point for me about looking at him as an all-brain player. So I'm, I'm glad you're bringing that up because one of the things I instantly clocked in the first half there was a couple of moments um, Balogun was obviously starting at right back and there was a couple of moments Morelos was actually dropping into what we would probably deem as Steve Davis territory and laying the ball off to the full back and then bombing up the pitch his game this season, well I think we've spoke about it in the pod previously Jimmy how um, he's maybe not scoring as many goals but his all round game has unquestionably improved It's improved, it really has improved and and I'm, I'm like you, you know, you turn around and say, well, if, if a centre forward isn't, if he's not quick, like Big Giroud last night playing for Chelsea. Yeah. Yes. If, if, if you're not quick, you've got to come short and hold the ball up and bring midfielders into the game. I know that. But if you're quick, like Vardy, you don't have to do that. Now, he just plays off the shoulder with Vardy. He just turns, there's no point in getting me, me getting involved in him. Now, why was... Alfredo always come the ball before. Is it up there? He doesn't think he's quicker in the centre half. Is he thinking, I'm not fit enough? Yeah. I'm not quicker than him because I'm not fit enough. Is it because he's fit and he's sharp and he looks at that he can turn in and do both? If he has to come short, come short and get involved. But if I have to play off the shoulder, I'll get away from the opponent. Is that because it's up there? He knows now that I feel better because I'm fitter and I feel quicker. Maybe it is. I remember Mark Healy saying that about Ali McCoy. Yeah. Whenever when when big Mark Healy came and said to Coyce, you have to lose a stone, a stone and a half. Look at the size, yeah. Now you might score thirty goals a year, but you know, why don't you want to score forty? But being that wee bit sharper or in the box. And maybe that's it. And his confidence just grown and grown. So Jimmy, I'm gonna stick with you because one of the things that that I felt Morelos done last year, he, he bullied their full-back line. Full-back, centre-half, centre-half, full-back. Um, as a, a former full-back yourself, how do you think you would have dealt with a player like Morelos, sort of 
good old fashioned in about you from the get go for the duration of the ninety minutes. How do you deal with that? Um, well, for a start, if you're a fullback and you're getting the ball off your centre half, and you open up your body to play a ball down the lane, and you know centre centre forward's coming this way, and you knew you're going to get one, yeah, then it it does put you off. It does put you off. You, you lose focus on where you're actually going to pass the ball. And he does it. Now, I'm going to say something about about Rangers and, and Relis, what have you. See, in my day, all I remember in Europe was Ali McCoy's running from fullback to centre-half, to centre-half to fullback. All I can see is him just running and working, and working hard to stop them, to unsettle them, just like what you were trying to say. Yeah, yeah. But whenever we had the ball, we never attack like Rangers do. The worst feeling in the world is sitting in the dressing room as a defender and sitting thinking, I can't see a score in a goal tonight. <laughs> or if we do score, if we do score 1-0, we have to work hard for the rest of the game to keep it 1-0. Yeah. There's not this free-flowing. And I watch Rangers now and turn around and say, if I can just do a job defensively, and they'll be disappointed to concede the five goals against Antwerp. I know yeah. that. And they will look at themselves. But the, the sheer feeling, knowing that we're going to score goals. Look at all these boys getting Arebo and Kent and Hadji and Morales and fullbacks. And it, it's, just, it's a great feeling as, the, as a defender that if I can just do a job at the back, we're going to score goals. And Rangers don't go about the European games feeling as though, oh, we'll go with one front, we'll sit behind the ball and, you know, hopefully get a wee break. They don't do that. They don't. It's, it's as if. Stephen George, well, why, why don't have to do that? We don't want to do that. And I'm not just talking about the last two games. I'm talking about Ben Fagan scoring goals all over the place. And, you know, it's a great attitude that, and a great approach that. Tommy, um, we go in at half time, and Balogun's nursing uh, an injury. And I'm, I'm going to come air right back on the call for this a little bit later after I've had your input. However, um, Nathan Patterson rises off the bench like he's never been away. And um, it, listen, I, I watched it here um, with my son, and um, it was an introduction like I don't think you would ever believe 16 seconds in, and he scored his first goal for the club so soon after, you know what I mean? The. The faceless Twitter people are on giving him and, and his buddies stick. And you could argue till you're blue in the face whether that's right or wrong. It's, it's probably not for this week's pod. However, um, that moment was really pivotal in the game, I felt, because it put us right on at the front foot for the second half. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's boys' own stuff. I think I put in the This Is Ibrox WhatsApp group that it was a Hollywood moment. Because it is. You know, you've been in trouble. You're putting the bench. Big European glamour night. You've never scored. 16 seconds in, by the way. That, as you say, you know, the much like the getting the first goal within nine minutes, it resets the tempo. Yeah. Um, I should say as well before I forget, it'd be interesting if we can ever clarify if uh, Ali McCoy lost that stone and a half. The, 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 <laughs> <laughs> he did at the time. He's made up for it since. <laughs> we, need, we need to double check my hand for that, right? But uh, so I, in, in terms of that, you know, it is, it's boys' own, it's boys' own stuff. Um, boys' own. That sounds a little bit like saying boys' own there, to be honest with you. <laughs> boys' own. But it is this Hollywood moment. And he comes off and he resets the narrative around about the second half. He resets the narrative about himself, you know, with the fans as well, because we all know he's an asset and he's really, really highly thought of in the game. Nathan Patterson and at the club as somebody who can go on. And with Tavernier having some 
injury issues and Balogun having a pretty difficult first half as well. Um, I think the lack of being a natural right back started to show yeah. in that half. And then 100%. having, I think, a calf tweak or whatever. Then you need to be able to look at your squad. How great it is to point to a young Scottish lad who, who's been through the ranks and comes in and adds to his value. I mean, that's fantastic. We all want that. So hopefully we've learned the contrition. Um, they've made a mistake. We, we all move on as a club and all that type of stuff. Great way to do it is to bang one in right at the start of the second half. And it did, I think, it, to a large extent, it took the... I don't know about you guys, but I always felt that Antwerp had the sales... So they weren't taking out their sales continually. And it was our lapses that put wind back in their sails. Yeah. But it wasn't until they were getting they were getting a lift off of us, yeah. as opposed to feeling that they could actually get it themselves. It was us kind of switching off me bits. Um, I should just, because I'm really interested in Jimmy's view, and I know he'll give us it later, but it's quite interesting what you were talking about there about knowing if the striker's going to hit you. I was referencing last week on the pod that one of the things I really like about Alfredo Morelos is forgetting the goals and all that, as you, you know, we're talking about. It's his ability to make defences and defenders think about him. And he pulls them all over the shop and they come out in any unnatural positions and they make unconscious mistakes because he's in their minds. It certainly sounds like he's that type of player. But yeah, back to Nathan Barson. Aye, listen. Long live that guy's scriptwriter. Absolutely. Jimmy, I think it's, it's, there's been a lot of noise around Nathan Patterson for all the wrong reasons. By, I'm sure his own admission, if, if anyone's seen the video, I think they would agree with that. Um, it, it really was a, a fairy tale moment for him to come in and score so early, but I actually felt over the piece. I was quite impressed with his second half performance generally. Even if he hadn't scored, I thought he gave himself a, he put himself forward really well in that second half last week. You know, I'm, I'm sit, I was out of my seat. I was <laughs> out of my seat. I thought, I can't believe it. And I'm looking at this young lad coming on thing, right? Just get a couple of touches in the centre half. They don't be going away up halfway in the opponent's half. Stand beside the centre half. Get a wee square ball. Just get a wee touch. Give it to Hattie. Give it to Kent. Just get a couple of wee touches and work your way into the game. Because everybody's looking at you. People think you shouldn't be on the park. And just settle into the game. <laughs> <laughs> he scores up to 16 seconds. I was up out of my seat for him. Now, we don't listen. We know what people are saying. It's, well, I come this year and the Celtic boy and I come the Aberdeen. We know that they're going to get their punishment, these lads. Yeah. They'll get their punishment when they say they get around to it or whoever it is deals with it. But for now, just, there was an opportunity for him to come on the park and, they, and he took his opportunity. i tell you what, and it was great to see the relief on that lad's face whenever because the pressure, I don't know the lad, but the pressure must have been Everybody's going to be looking at every pass, every everything I do. So, and they come through the rest of the game the way he did. But you're right what you said about about Rangers. Rangers response in both games. You know, when, over in Antwerp, when the, but Rangers response to start the second half in Antwerp was great. Yeah, it was. Get the pound. It was a great response, and you're not going into the dressing room dejected after do. And it was the same whenever one each. You think, oh, and then. Of all the things to have with that young lad to score, great. But I mean, people were talking about the, you know, there was still a threat, there was still a danger there, so there was. That's what I'm saying about goal scores and yeah. quality players, like you're talking about, the threat's still there, but that they've handled it, they've, they've responded great Rangers twice, going in the start of second half games. The only thing I'd say, just, sorry, just to bookend that, um, 
and I you know, not want to lead with a negative or anything like that, but defend the way we did against some of the higher opposition teams. And I think we'll find ourselves in a more difficult position because you can't switch off in some of those games. But I completely agree with Jimmy as well that it's really nice to see from Steven Gerrard. Rangers going to European games with absolutely zero inferiority complex. Right. Well, that's, that's a point I was making about we know they conceded the five goals, but, you know, the, the hardest thing is to score goals. And if you're a team that looks as though you're going to score goals, then the easiest thing to do is to sort yourself out defensively. Plus the fact you're not going to get many opportunities, you know, as, as, the, as the tournament goes on. We know that, but they've got good enough strikers and players to, to deal with that. Tommy, the, the best goal of the game, I would say, was, was the, the third goal. Um, clever, clever ball by Glenn Kamara, and he fires it into Yanis Hadji, who at that split second, I would argue, does everything that we paid £4.5 million pounds for him for. That wee half turn opens up the game entirely. Um, plays into Morelos, very clever, not crowned to the, the left back. And Ryan Kent's finish is excellent, doing that very, very clever and hard to do. If we're trying at the back garden right now, albeit it's dark, we can't. But that ball coming across the front of you and scooping it in with your left foot, very difficult talent, but it was a great goal to put us to get us that third goal. Yeah, absolutely. For a brief second there, my mind went blank and all I had. It <laughs> Kamara and then 4.5 million and I went no 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 listen for me it was the I think the goal of the tie yeah for decisive nature that you know uh, Jimmy was talking about you know you pass into the full back it goes back to the centre back and I know Kamara wasn't playing full back but he's, he's in you know near enough that position gets it whips a ball in I know you know Mr McCoy's for example in the, the commentary was enthusing about Hadji's turn but it's Hadji's turn, so that's a great piece of play to open up and cut through the lines, tick. Then a great turn to take two players out of the, the game because Hadji's ahead of them. And given he's not the quickest player, he's used his bodies and intelligence to make that space. Yeah. Plays it essentially first time. Next thing you know, you're you know about, what, 30 yards out. Morelos, back to Jimmy's point again about you know fitness and being really focused and knowing what he can and can do. Stands up the defender, knocks it round him, gets in, and then looks up, plays it across, and Kent moves really quickly. And it's actually a really nice finish because you think he's going to take it with his right, and he actually just opens up his body and hits it with the left. Yeah. Incisive team goal. I mean, mm. I hate the cliches, but if some of the more you know, TV sexier teams, particularly in Spain, do that type of move, it's talked about forever. That yeah. is a European night against not a bad side who just from our half of the pitch to theirs in the space of what? Um, three passes? have been ripped wide open and are staring at the ball in the back of their net. That, I mean, that's that's exactly the type of football you want to see anybody play. And it's great to see it from Rangers players. And, you know, not players that were massively sexy when they were picked up by the club. They've been moulded to be able to play this type of game. And that's something that the management team should take all the credit for as well. Jimmy, we, we can't let the sort of European chat pass by without making comment on another um, thoroughly impressive performance by Stephen Davis. Well, he's been doing it for years and years now. And again, the confidence that Rangers have going forward is possibly Steve Davis got a lot to do with it. Full backs <laughs> can go. 
Fullbacks can go, the two fullbacks can go, knowing that Steve Davis is going to sit there. And Ryan Jack, don't get me wrong, it's not about. I'm only talking about Steve Davis because I, I watch Rangers for that reason. Yeah, not yeah. the only reason, but I, I keep an eye on him this year, he's doing and very, very seldom a liberty to turn, come away from a game and say, I don't know what was wrong with him today. Yeah. I don't think. In fact, my last report into Ian, Ian Barcroft, the manager in Northern Ireland, I said, you know what? Steve Davis was a man of match today. Forget what league game was. Do you know Steve Davis was a man of match today? And he never played one penetrating pass. <laughs> and that, but that's it, all, everything else. Sometimes you get midfielders, or they'll switch a ball 50, 60, 70 yards, and they'll look great. And not are we penetrating passing this trigger? The pass you're talking about had you into. And they'll do it. Looks, but Steve Davis didn't do it this particular game. But as for reading the game, reading danger, simple but effective passing, just everything is all around game is great. And for players to, to get forward knowing you've got the security behind you, it's a great feeling. And he's, he's, just, a, he's just a quiet, inspirational lad. That, and I'm glad I'm with Northern Ireland and get the opportunity to work with him because I can see what he's like now, not just as player on the park. Tommy, I asked you last week about Alan McGregor. And I'm going to put you in the spot again because I did ask you last week if you felt McGregor was better first time round and and now, and and we got a lot of sort of stuff about how he's matured as a player, etc. Um, I can see where you're going with this, and I'm, I'm I'm not chuffed at all. You're very welcome. Same question, Steve Davis: better this time around or better previous first time around? God, um, well your connection's breaking up. I think probably for the same reason. Well, it's actually an interesting one, right? So play back a little bit. I think that this Stephen Davis is better because I think he's better able to massively control games from a position of more experience, less. I'm not saying he's he's, is any more or less fit than he was first time, but you know, time does take its its toll doesn't naturally get forward much as, as he used to, but it can completely dictate a game. Yeah. Um, and then there's the weight of having a guy like that's experienced in the engine room and in the dressing room, keeping some of the younger people just focused on getting game after game after game. Mm-hmm. And yeah, that's probably why I, I say that he's this iteration. And dare I say it, it's an interesting one, right? But then you overlay the fact that a guy like that, when Steven Gerrard doesn't have tons of uh, experience as a manager, that's not a criticism of Steven Gerrard, but previously Davis was here under Walter Smith, for example, as well, and you know, uh, and stuff like that as well. Yeah. And also maybe pound for pound working in more established teams. Yeah. You know, and I'm not saying one team's better than the other, I'm just saying... That's fair, that's fair. That's a good more. point, Tommy. That's a good point, working under different managers. Because that's an indication of what, what the player's like and what the person's like. You look at Steve Davis at Southampton. At Southampton I don't know what, what the number is, but Steve Davis probably went under three or four different managers. At Southampton, maybe more. And yeah. every one of the managers made him captain. Because they know right away the influence he has. Not demonstrative, but the influence he has. Because he's, he's a listener. And he, he helps people. And he, he takes messages to the management if, if need to be. And and it's just one of them great sort of people to have a better dressing. Do you see that in Northern Ireland? Yeah. Uh, Jimmy, in terms of that, players just looking to him. Yeah. 
He's always at the front. I know it's a wee thing, but he's always at the front in the training. He just the way he goes about things, the way he quietly goes about things. You can't tell me he's young Northern Ireland players. Listen, the young Northern Ireland players do, and some are overconfident, and cocky. You know what they're like these days. But it's the senior players, even senior players at the same age, look up to him with, with great respect. And I'll tell you why. And one of the reasons. It always, it always wasn't great for Michael O'Neill. I think Michael lost his first 14 games or something. Yeah. But they were going away and playing friendlies and all over the world. And people were dropping like flies because they didn't want to be associated with their country and they didn't want to go halfway around the world to get gubbed. But Steve Davis was always there. He was always there. Never missed a Northern Ireland trip. That's not to get 120 caps for Northern Ireland. That's your love of football. And that's your love of your country. And that's you wanting to make things better. That's what he's like. And I organise all this for the staff. I organise all the nights out after games for the, for the clubs and none. <laughs> and we're in Czechoslovakia. We're in. <coughs> and I got it all organised for the Northern Ireland staff. And we walked in and who's there? All the Northern Ireland players. <laughs> <laughs> Steve Davis had organised the same place. <laughs> but his was a wee bit more than mine. I got about ten quiddies for a kid. He had, he had, he had the whole place roped off with big barrels and buckets of Budweiser and Greg Goose, whatever you call it. The place was all roped off. I've got a tenner head kid with his dad. A couple of pounds and a pack of somebody or Chris. Sit in the corner and keep quiet. Bottle of cheap, cheap check beer. Oh, dear. Brilliant. Listen, Jimmy, I'm going to come back to you because before we started to speak about the Antwerp game, you, you alluded to your meeting with um, Graham Souness prior to him uh, indicating that he was he was going to be in, in Glasgow that summer. Um, let us know a little bit about how that fitting into that Souness revolution at Ibrox, and it was a revolution at that time. Um, let us know what that was like to be involved in that. Well, I was a, again, I was the luckiest man in the world. I was at, I was at um, West Bromwich Albion. With Ron Saunders and uh, Ron arrived. Johnny Jays was the manager of West Brom whenever I was there, and I loved Johnny and Norman Hunter and Nobby Stiles and the great staff. I loved it. And then Ron Saunders came, and um, you know, just I just didn't get on with him. <laughs> yeah. It was my first game, Spurs away. They beat us four or five now. It was his first game. He arrived in the middle of January, and Nobby Stiles was the caretaker manager for six games. And we were around second, second, third, bottom of the league. And nobody was critical. And we win two, drew two, lost two. So we'd settled things down. And Ron came. And he had his own up and down hills Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday. I mean, it was horrific. And we could beat five now. And he says, after the game, he changed the whole team around. And after the game, he said, in all my days, in the game, I have never seen a bunch of unprofessional, unfit players in all my life than you. Wow. So next week, he says, you'll be, we'll be finding higher hills and you'll be running up and down these hills every day, all week. And I said, excuse me, Gaffer, can I say something? I said, so I'm taking that as a slant as being a professional. There's nothing wrong with my fitness and there's nothing wrong with my professionalism. Are you telling me that the cause of the the result today, and it's nothing to do with your team selection, where you made six changes after a team that went unbeaten, two wins, 
two draws and two defeats, and you changed the whole team. So it's nothing to do with your team selection. <laughs> he was that close. <laughs> he walked right up to me and he says, congratulations, you've just played your last game for West Bromwich Albion. <laughs> and I never kicked another ball. So can you imagine, I was from, I was from January 85. Can you imagine, I was training with the kids. Whenever I get the phone call, came back from the World Cup in Mexico. I was training with the kids at West Brom pre-season. And Saunders calls me over and he says, come here, what? I know Bobby Williamson. I knew when he played for Rotherham and I like him. I, he says, so he's over Rangers at the minute. I says, I know that. I said, well, he's coming down the road and you're going up the road, straight swap. <laughs> oh, oh, I know who you got the short straw, that one. <laughs> <laughs> Can I keep this thing off your face? Yeah. Well, if you insist. <laughs> uh, I, I run off that pitch. I was only training the kids, and I run off that pitch, got my boots, got my gear, jumped in the car, drove back to Manchester, then drove to Scotland, and, and that was it. Signed on a Friday, and we played Hibs on a Saturday. And I've been here ever since, you know, so luckiest man in the world. But what he did then was, and I thought that what's happening here? And then Terry, I wasn't the first signing, not saying the first signing, but at that time he bought Terry Butcher in and Kevin, yeah. the Swedish England goalkeeper. They were all coming in. I thought this was going to be great. And he had, well, I, you know, that's just the way Graham was. He just, which I found him, he just wanted to surround himself with good players. And, Good players, I mean, Butcher and Weeds and all these boys. But, uh, and good staff. And he got Walter in. I mean, that, was his best, that was his best signing, Walter. Yeah. There was no doubt about that. I love Walter. I love, I love the two of them. Because Graham was like that. Graham was, poof, he was full on. But Walter, you could go to Walter if things weren't going as planned on the pitch in the Saturday evening. But you couldn't, uh, you couldn't agree. And the best thing that happened to me was, was whenever... I'm saying the best thing, but he bought Gary Stevens. And I said to Graham, I said, such a strange one. Do you not think he's too good for the reserves? <laughs> <laughs> he says, aye. He said, well, would, you li- would you like to take the reserves? And it was my first insight into the state of the game. Yeah. And, and I'm glad I did it because it's an opportunity to go and play somewhere else. I said, no, I want to take the reserves and see if I can with big Peter McCloy and then John McGregor and see if I like the side of the game. And uh, I'm glad I did because I meant I was in the office every morning with Graham and I seen another side to him which I didn't see as a player. I didn't see it as a player. But at nine o'clock in the morning I seen a side to him that I really, I really got to know the man I thought great. But at half past ten, from nine o'clock to half ten, he could talk about anything topical, anything going on in the world. Anything, not just football, anything. Clever. So that was something I was going to say to you. Obviously, when he came over in the 80s, I'm sure he was 33, 34, so young by any standard, younger than what I am now, certainly. Probably Thomas as well, though he'd probably try to pretend otherwise. Um, <laughs> this filter's not working, guys. <laughs> <laughs> how, how, do you think, how do you think Graham Souness managed to... Because Walter Smith wasn't there at, from the outset. How do you think he managed to balance that so perfectly between being a player and I imagine wanting to play and being the gaffer as well to all intents and purposes I'm sure Walter helped him a lot yeah I'm sure because maybe there's times whenever Graham would go over the top you know 
Yeah. And probably thought through his frustration, through his frustration and, and wanting to be successful immediately and then getting impatient players that probably weren't doing their job properly. And, and I, I think Walter just had a wee common. I think so. Without a wee, Graham, you got to watch now. Just, you know, I know you want to be successful yesterday, but Chill in out. a long time now, just we've got to, you know, sort this out. And, and I went to Wraith Rovers and I was assuming when I went to Wraith Rovers player manager. And it took, I'm only saying it comparing it because it took me my first training session. And after the session, I went through them like a dose of salt about yeah. the standard. And Murray Chain, who's my assistant, said, Jimmy, you can't talk to them like that. These are part-time players. Yeah. You know, they've been up ladders and down holes all day. Mm-hmm. And then you're asking them to come in to do what you want, what you've done all your days. So he's yeah. got to bite your tongue and just... And I think Walter might have had that sort of... That, he made it done. I don't know. Aye. And, yeah, yeah. I, I don't think he did because I've never seen Graham Mello, right? Nothing to think about <laughs> it. <laughs> quite, quite interesting, Jimmy, just in terms of... So, spoken about, you know, the change in ownership, you've got Sunis in there, you've got the new players coming in, you've got Morris Johnston, all that kind of stuff happening in the club. What was it like to be at the heart of the club where, particularly in that period, Rangers were the only story in town and it was a total revolution that was impacting every part of Scottish society and every part of Scottish football. What was it like to be living that day to day? Well, it was great to see, you know, listen, the, the most important thing about Football is playing with good players. You know, don't forget that. I was bottom of my league with Sunderland. That was McCoy's fault. And I was bottom of my league with West Brom. <laughs> and, and see, when you're bottom of my league, and I've got a wee bit of everything, and you're in Northern Ireland where you're, you're trying to do your best, but you always feel up against it. And see, if you, all these different clubs you've been to, you really appreciate when you go to a club where you've got good players. You know, and not just the butchers and the woods and these boys and all the saints. That David Cooper still up, David Jimmy yeah. and Coisty and all these boys, and, and the, the, so they had a good blend of the ones he brought in, top top players, and the ones who appreciated what was happening at the club. The ones that had been there for years and appreciated the change. Oh, listen, it's not going to be a struggle now. Hopefully, we're going to win more games than lose. Hopefully, we'll win things because the worst feeling in the world is having a career and not winning anything. And these, so everybody must have to right, okay, you have a chance of doing something here because they're quality on the pitch. And Graham would play himself, of course. Young lads were coming through, Durant, Derek Ferguson. Then he could see him for Ray Wilkins and then just, yeah. everything was just, it was a joy to go into work every day because you had, you had the sense of humour of the Scotch boys, McCoy and Durant, no, and then you had the English boys. <laughs> Can imagine the gin and tonic boys and the and the paid the tenants boys, you know. <laughs> <laughs> is it true? But then that after that, but them play used to play uh, them against each other in training. They play the Scottish team and the English team. That oh, geez, I was there. I mean, it was recently. It was only recently I, I heard um, Ian John and Derek Ferguson talking about it. The day that Tunis, I can't remember how it went, but Graham hit Derek. And then Durante hit Graham for hitting Derek. <laughs> and then Graham hit Durante. And then Derek hit Sunas <laughs> for hitting Durante. And the two were ganging up. And he says, oh, come on, the two years, that'll do lovely, you know. And, <laughs> and I played in that game. I remember that game vividly on a, on a Friday morning. And um, they were just smacking into each other. And um, the respect that Walter Smith had from everybody. 
I'd never seen an assistant manager stop a training session before. And Walter just went, through the whistle. And he went over, and whoever had the ball at their feet, he just stamped. He said, give us it. And he picked the ball up. He says, right. And he's go, all these, get in. It's gone, it's gone too far. It's a Friday morning. <laughs> Finished. And he stopped the training session, Walter, before he got out of hand. You know, so. But they were, I mean, great, great days. You had a great blend, a great mix. Because all the young ones all respected Wilkins and Butchernall. And they respected the job that the Scottish boys could do, you know. Jimmy, when you when you moved, when Sunis brought in Gary Stevens and your your game time maybe looked like it was going to be a bit more limited, and you moved to to look after some of the reserves with with um, John McGregor. Who were you looking after at, at that stage? Was, who was in the pool of guys at that point? Oh, that was Big Nizzy and Gus McPherson and Gary McSwiggan, John Spencer. Excellent. Oh, all Excellent. them kids. I mean, I loved it. I loved it. Used yeah. to get them wee stupid wee games and quizzes and all, and just. And then, oh, we John Spencer. We John Spencer. I made the mistake one day. I think Koisty was injured. And somebody said, there's only one striker. There's only one striker. And I made the mistake of saying to Gary McSwiggan and John Spencer, only he's got a wee chance this week. Because in them days, used to play reserve games on a Saturday. Yeah. I said, one of you still got a wee chance to play this week. And Walter said to me, to me, keep an eye on the two of them. Case we use one on this weekend, and I made the mistake of telling them, <laughs> you know. So they were just all week, but the two of them were flying. And Mulder says, "What do you think?" I said, "Well, if you want Mick Swiggin's pace, Mick Swiggin. If you want Spencer's brain, Spencer. Anyway, it's up to you." So I went in there on Friday morning into the office, and the phone goes and says, "Jimmy, bring up in pair of boots." Bring him upstairs, and I brought a pair of boots up, and Andy Gray was sitting there. <laughs> and he says, Jimmy, do you know Andy? I says, ah, there I am. So, how are you doing? All right. <laughs> what are you doing here? <laughs> <laughs> the game's not there, Mara. <laughs> he said, we've signed Andy till the end of the season. And such was, such was the importance of having to win every game of football that we couldn't even take a chance. Yeah. Okay, Mick Swigner, John Spencer. And that's and that's the pressure, if you want to call it pressure, but it was a wee indication to me the pressure Graham and Walter in order to win win games of football, to win leagues, to do things. You know, because Graham said, hey, what's up with you on a Monday? What's up? Ah, they beat two or three in Ireland and all this carry on. And if we got beaten on Saturday, it was a wee bit Walter was good at picking me up and all. But I was always I was always concerned about the young lads. And it would turn out, I'll tell you what, I've got three or four cracking lads. Yeah. You'll be able to look forward to in the future. He said, and Graham said, Jimmy, I'll never, I'll never be able to play three or four young lads in the team. If you give me one a year and be exceptional, like Durant and Cooper, these, they've got to be exceptional. I'll never get three or four kids in this team. Give me one a year and I'll be happy. I remember a guy that was in the, in the youth setup, reserve setup, who I thought at the time, um, was going to be a real player, Sandy Robertson. Oh, we Sandy in middle of the park. He probably looked after. Oh, I remember, I'm, I'm sure he, was, he scored, a, a, I can't remember, it was a scissor kick, but he scored a, a great goal at Love Street yeah. against St. Martin. And yes. I always thought, wow, this guy's going to be a, a real player. And he, he was he was almost lost to the system, Jimmy. His, his yeah. age almost played against him a little bit and he, he largely disappeared, I think. 
he did. And I'd gotten to wonder what happened to each Sunday. I can't remember because only only did it for a year. Yeah. And I, I got a phone call to go to Dunfermline for Big Leash. And I was only I was only thirty two, and I always said, like, "I want to play the game as long as I can." <coughs> so I got the phone call from Leash. They just got promoted, and I went to see Graham and Walter. And Graham says, "Listen, play the game." If I hadn't got the offer the Rangers job, I'd still be playing in Italy. So I went. So I only had the, the lads for a year, and um, and I went there. I went there. I went to, to continue playing football, which is what I wanted to do. And I went there for a year. So I lost track with it. All them, and not Swiggy, but we, Sandy Robertson, some of the other young lads at that time. Yeah. Jimmy, I'm going to stick with you because I would suggest that we're going to come back to 2018 as to what happened then. Um, but in 1994, you won the League Cup at Ibrox with Wraith Rovers. Must have been one of your proudest moments in the game, was it not? Yeah, I understood. <laughs> and for the reason being, like we are saying before, as a player, you want to play the highest level you can. Yeah. Because it means you're playing with good players. And you're going to win more games than you lose. And you might win things. But at Wraith Rovers, who were part-time boys when they first arrived, slowly developed it and get some full-time lads. And for them lads to achieve, I went there in November 90. And for them to achieve what they achieved, they win the first division twice, got promoted, relegated, and promoted again. And the beat sound they got there in the League Cup final. That's yeah. I get a lot, a lot of satisfaction out of that. Of course, absolutely. A lot of satisfaction because it, that's just you know if you're fortunate to play with good players, good luck. But for the, see them boys do it, and uh, and we get we got a wee bit of help that day, and also with it, with it we had special studs that only Rangers had. We <laughs> 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 be careful, Jimmy. We live in a we live in a country where people will be asking for that that trophy to be returned. Absolutely, <laughs> I. They want that back. There's no yeah, two ways yeah. about it. Oh, excuse me, now. Uh, there you go. Uh, I'm out of bit of a yes, we did. I had that. Uh, and it was the last. Uh, the, that's the reason I were in Europe. And people said, Jimmy, it must have been great. I brought and being Celtic, it was. But the biggest thing was Wraith Rovers going to Europe because it was the last time the League Cup winners. Would represent Scotland and European football. That was yeah, the last time. It was never going to happen again. So that was the opportunity, and, uh, and we did it. And we deserved it. Deserved there was a lot of good players on the race team that day. Guys, Stevie Crawford, Mickey Cameron was involved in that day as well. I'm sure. Um, that was the midfield. Aye. Midfield was Stevie Crawford, Jason Darren, Mickey Cameron. That was yeah, a young midfield, and and, and the swamp Celtic get the extra time with their fitness and their enthusiasm, and, and we're still the, the fortune of. Going to penalty kicks and, and fortunate to win it that way, but who was the boy? Is it Scott Thompson who was in goal? Yeah, he, he's a goalkeeping coach over Ross County now, and Tom was my goalkeeper. He was it. I brought him from um, Forfar for about yeah. forty grand or something, and he saved the penalty. He saved Paul McStay's penalty. Yeah. Oh, I, trust me, trust me, Jimmy. I absolutely remember that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> don't, need to, don't need to tell me twice about okay. that one. We got a rap at the door where I was straw hats and trumpets in the dressing room afterwards, and. And there was a rap in the door, and I was just standing back with my sister Martin Harvey, just enjoying it and taking all in and, and watching them all celebrating. And there was a rap in the door. I had the home dress room at Ibrox. Just here, congratulations on behalf of the Rangers Football Club. Nice one. <laughs> Half a dozen bottles of champagne. <laughs> oh, oh, that's nice. I like that. Not a tap so, on the door from the, from the team that you'd managed to beat in the final? 
no, no congratulations or well yeah. done. Yeah, yeah, Tommy is God, God love him. Tommy Burns at the time and That's Billy nice. Stark, you know, no, Tommy was good, yeah. That was yeah. a sore one for them. Class eyes. Yeah. So, Jimmy, I'm going to stick with you because we we, we sort of fast forward from, from the days at Wraith Rovers to 2018. You already alluded to the fact that you were in a position at at Falkirk and you're approached by um, Rangers to, to come back to the club and the coaching staff initially. Let us know a little bit about how that happened and, and lead us up to that crazy, crazy afternoon at Easter Road, if you don't mind. Well... I was uh, I was at Falkirk and the phone went and it was Stuart Robertson and um, and in Paul Hartley's office at Falkirk it's down below it's not a great reception so I said I better take us and I took it out in the middle of pitch at Falkirk and says hi Stuart and I thought it was about Michael and me to be honest with you yeah I thought Michael's got it okay he says Jimmy he says um, where uh, Graham's going to be manager till the end of the season and um, we just want to know if he come in and and join him. Great. <laughs> Great for me. On the way. I'm outside. <laughs> yeah. So I was great. And uh, and I drove in my first day. Big motor. Can't even remember what it was, but I'm too old for a young motor. Like I had black wheels and black windies and all that. <laughs> so big motor. My own parking space at the training ground. I thought this is just. <laughs> don't forget, I was a kid and be three months before I was a Falker. <laughs> I thought this is great, and then I seen a car. I seen a car parked right outside the entrance, where the where it shouldn't be parked. And I walked in and met all Graham and JJ and Colin Stewart and all the staff and all you know. So, and then the players down the treatment room and see the physios and the players. And and then I just says, who owns that car? And they told me he owned it. I said, what's it doing there? That's where the ambulance is coming. Fire brigade and all. He shouldn't be parking there. He says, ah, oh, but he parks there. And that was my first, oh, does he? Oh, he does, does he? <laughs> and nobody says nothing. No, no, that's where he parks. So I won't tell you who the player was. And that was my first re-sign of The manager has to walk further to get into the front door than the player does. What the hell's that all about? Yeah, and then I just slowly think, but but anyway, it was it was really enjoyable, and I enjoyed it. And and unfortunately, what you know, what happened to Graham, um, you know, that was a sore one because I got angry with him. He brings yeah. you in, and you know, what's AJ? So how would they? If I can ask, you you'd obviously come in. Graham's there to stabilise the ship. He brings in people like yourself to stabilize stabilise it after the Pedro. Um, era, yeah. probably a nicest way to say that. But I'm interested. Was there still a hangover from from Pedro? Were people still? Was there still a confusion about his system versus Graham's system, or was it just a case of let's get back to basics, lads? The squad should be good, good enough to win yeah. this game. Was that? Yeah, it? yeah, that was it. I mean, I mean Graham and uh, and JJ were very thorough in their work, what they did in their training, and they'd sit down every morning at half past eight, then at eight o'clock breakfast and sit down on the table half eight what their, their approach was going to be for the day so I don't know what it was like under Pedro apparently there was a lot of cones about the place but nothing else happening and and I think Graham got the players on board he got them on board started picking up I mean we know what happened I mean the Celtic games done and you know that was horrific what happened the name games yeah 
and uh, it was really disappointing the way it worked out for him, you know. But uh, as for as for the, the coaching side of things, you just did what you had to do. I just love walking about and, and, and seeing people that may be a wee bit down or they're not putting in what they normally put into this training sessions and see what's wrong with them and do wee bits and pieces. But the bulk of it is, is that trying keep as much away from the manager's door as you can. That's I've always done it with Jimmy Caldwell and Kenny Shield or anywhere I've been. That's <coughs> that's that's a bit that I like doing, you know. And keeping things away from the manager if you can, if you can sort them out yourself with the player and the player's happy enough and do it that way. If you guys will indulge me, just Jimmy, maybe you can or, or can't answer this question, right? But from the outside as, as fans, it looked as though there might have been an uptick in results and stuff, but maybe unfairly on Graham and the, the staff and stuff. It looked as though the players were picking and choosing when they kind of wanted to turn up and were kind of ruling the roost. So from your perspective, again, I know you need to kind of take a position on this, but was that the case? Because it looked like a pretty broken dressing room from the outside. Uh, It wasn't always broken. It wasn't always. We had our moments. We had our moments when I seen players and the arguments after games and and I seen another side of two or three of them, and I thought, no, I don't like that, you know. So, and it wasn't harmonious all the time. But, uh, you know, they, we know the games that, that done us in, you know, the ones that Ibrox, whenever got, they were down to 10 men, we lost that one, you know, you think, or if you'd have won that, then just loads in, and Edward pops up and scores. And, and there's loads of examples you think, geez, what a. You know, but listen. If it had been, if it had been good all the time, then what happened wouldn't have happened, you know. But you can't. It's very difficult to keep players happy and contented all the time. That's a special gift that you've got to keep 25, 26, 28 players happy. You know, it's very difficult. So it isn't. And some of them weren't happy, and, and so if anything went wrong, it just blew up. It just blew up, and then they got an opportunity to be critical and. And but Graham worked very hard at his job. He was very meticulous, and and I I thought he I thought he got on well with players. I I think from a, a personal point of view, the fact that that Graham Murty is still at the club and in the position yeah. he is, um, perfectly illustrates just how highly he is regarded within the the walls at the training centre. I don't think there's yeah. any doubt about that. One thing, Jimmy, that 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 struck me: you're quite clearly a proud Rangers man, and you're so happy to have played for the club in the manner that you did and be involved in the in the club as you have done. Um it must have been surprising for you to go in and 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 see players that maybe weren't maintaining that sort of pride and tradition of being where they are and wearing what they wear every weekend if you're with me. Yeah, I know, but listen, it's very difficult because it's difficult to point the finger at somebody, but I'm I'm looking at it and turning and saying this is what should be done. If you're going to police a dress room, police a dress room. Don't let people get away with things. Yeah. I mean, you don't, when it's not being policed properly and things get slack and people get casual, then that's it. You, you got to clamp down on that. You either do it from the top or you police a dress room as players. And if that's not policed properly, then if you're not going to get on there, I had a player to listen to it. I used to get exasperated with them and turn around. I had a player say to me, what's the point? You know, 
<laughs> what's the point? Holy shit. You know, Just outrageous. So, and you know, what's the point? That sort of thing. So, but I'm making a change as always. It wasn't, it only, we had our wee moments when things didn't go well. Yeah. It was, the whole feeling just got to everybody, you know. So, but anyway. Speak to us about mistakes. Absolutely, 100%. I couldn't agree more. Speak to us about the five each game at Easter Road. <laughs> well, that's <laughs> me getting my, I make myself comfortable in my seat as well. That's <laughs> all night. Oh, dear. I mean, whenever it, um, whenever it happened to Graham, I mean, JJ could pull half feet in the morning, could pull in the office at the training ground, and um, Graham's gone. I says, no, because he came in and said, Cheerio, and they're sitting there. She said, one used to the take over till the, the end of the season. And I said, well, let me phone Graham first. And I went out and phoned Graham. He says, that's right, Jimmy. He said, the boss, that's right, do what you have to do. You're all right. And then, um, so back in, I said, right. The other thing was, yeah, we'll do it, but, you know, the two of us can't do it. Because <laughs> somebody's got to be responsible, <laughs> you know, for the press. And... Pick, you can pick the, the team jointly, but somebody's got to be responsible if you get gunned and go and face the press afterwards. Yeah. You know, or if things aren't going well. And so I had to take a decision. So that was it. I ended up doing it anyway. And um, that was great. And um, beat Kilmarnock, drew with Aberdeen. And then we'll go to Easter Road. And <laughs> I thought I'd seen everything in football. Everything. <laughs> everything. So I remember. I remember being there and the Rangers supporters off to the right. I'm looking at the Rangers supporters. Don't know how many was in the right-hand corner. We're three down after 20 minutes. And I said to JJ, oh. <laughs> You're responsible, JJ. <laughs> That's my phone going. <laughs> I said, JJ, get Bruno warmed up. I says, what? I said, tell Bruno to get out there and get warmed up. She says, he's a centre-half, Jimmy, we're three down. I says, I know that, but don't get Bruno on with the six down at half-time. We need another defender on there. So, at three now, you've still got a chance. We've got to keep it. Keep it at three now. <laughs> so, I'll never forget. Bruno gets up and he, he goes down. And he's down that way towards the Rangers supporters. I can hear the Rangers supporters booing. They're booing. Bruno's getting warmed up. And JJ said, Jimmy, you're joking, aren't you? I said, JJ, I'm going to do it. Even me, Jimmy Bell. He, Jimmy Bell, he thinks he's Mourinho. He's saying to me, you can't bring on. You can't bring on Bruno Ellis. <laughs> I was getting it in both ears. You can't do that. You can't do that. <laughs> no, you'll never believe it. Bruno, come here. So when Bruno leaves the corner, as he's halfway up to the halfway line, I scored. I think Tav scored. 3-1. Score again. He Jordan has 3-2. Match 3-2 and Bruno's at the halfway line. And JJ says, you're not bringing Bruno on now. We're back in the game. I says, ah, he's gone off. <laughs> Bruno get their gear off. He gets his gear off. And I'm getting dogs abused. The Rangers boys just think the supporters must be thinking, they're back in the game. You can't bring on a centre. Well, Bruno gets his gear off. We get a free kick. There's my opportunity. Bruno goes on. Sean Goss comes off. Bruno hits a free kick. Three eats. 
<laughs> I've gone to be the best manager in the world. I'm really one Alec Ferguson all wrapped up in one. <laughs> it's three each. Half time, we're going to address him. Listen, lads, we're going to win this game. Simply because their defence is worse than ours. Simple as that. Fair play. <laughs> yeah. We'll go 5-3 up. The Rangers, like I said, the Rangers supporters are so confused. They're singing a sash to the tune of Sunshine on Leaf. <laughs> they don't know what's going on. They've come from 3 down of the Tony Mills to 5-3 up. <laughs> I, I looked up after 20 minutes, Jimmy, and thought you'd only picked half a team. <laughs> just, just the defence. <laughs> Well, after we, scored the, yeah, after, after we scored the fifth one, they went up a park and made a 5-4. But it just held on for a wee 5-4, and then they got the 5 eight. I mean, he was doing his airplane, and so he was. And uh, and that was my last game. And and after the game, I spoke to Mark Allen. Mark says, you know, this is going to be happening. And I says, all right, that's no problem. And just, um, you know, and then, then that was it. He just said, listen, there's a chance Stevie's coming in. And so was that when you, you kind of heard when Stephen Gerrard's name was, was largely mentioned as being yeah. the, the next manager, yeah? Well, it was it was a Sunday and, um, and then there was a meeting at the training ground Monday morning. And I just said to Mark, at Easter Road in some cupboard or something, I found a wee cupboard and <laughs> With broomsticks and little mops and buckets. And all. So Mark says to me, do it. We're in a cupboard. I says, I know, Mark, we're all right. You're all right. <laughs> and uh, he was great about it. He says, listen, that's what's happening. And But, the, the, um, you know, just see how things are whenever I come in and see if there's anything. It's not going to happen for me. You're all right. But thanks for the opportunity. It's great. I really enjoyed it. And thanks very much, you know. So that was it. Then I went in. Sorry, sorry, Jim, I was going to ask, did you have any, after that, did you have any interaction with Stephen no. Gerrard, the squadron one, no? No, 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 that was it. Yeah, listen, the first time I was there for six months, I thought I wouldn't be back. Went back in 86, winning cups and leagues, great. And then you get an opportunity to, to take the reserves and you get an opportunity to manage them for three games. Listen, died and going to heaven, mate. It's great. That's the dream. Live the dream, Jimmy. Yeah. Although, as I said earlier off camera, it's the one game where I've ever managed to get drunk and then the game sobered me up. Long may that five each game live in the memory, I'll tell you. Yeah. <laughs> and I hope you put Jimmy Bell in his place when, uh, when, no. uh, when Bruno... <laughs> He's learned. He's learned the harsh lesson there. <laughs> Jimmy, Jimmy took a credit for bringing Bruno on in the end. <laughs> Listen, Jimmy Nickel, I, I could absolutely speak to you for, forever. It's been fantastic having you on. I really appreciate your time tonight. Thanks very much for joining us. Thank no you. No problem, lads. Um, I, good luck to you. I should say that over the the, the coming week, uh, this Cybrox is really happy to be rolling out the, the women's football podcast. So we will be joined, I indeed will be joined by Graham Falk, Courtney McKenzie, and we can now reveal joining us from the women's club, Nicola Doherty joins us this week as well. She will um, get together with us and we will speak all things about the women's pod and we're, we're really, really looking forward to it. Thanks to the club for, for putting it on and, and supporting us. We, we look forward to rolling that out this week. Stay tuned for that. Thomas, he's gone. It was great to have him on. Thoroughly enjoyed it. You could have spoke to him for hours and I think he would gladly have done it. Uh, listen, I, yeah, absolutely. More so than I think any 
any other previous pods I could have sat here all night and uh, and listened to Jimmy. Absolutely amazing guest and, a, and an absolutely lovely guy on and off camera, has to be said, a true gent. Amazing. We will do it all again next week. Good luck to Rangers. We didn't even speak about the game that they have on, on Wednesday, of wow. course, when we, we travel to Livingston, um, who will be a bit flat after the weekend, I would imagine. However, we'll have a go on that dodgy surface. Um, you and I will get together again next week where we've got another special guest, so we look forward to that. Thanks for your time tonight. Okay, thank you. Thanks, folks. Bye-bye. Let your fear out. Let your fear out. You're listening to This Is Ibrox, your Rangers podcast. Brought to you by Triple H Mortgages, the one-stop shop for all your mortgage and mortgage insurance needs. Contact them on 01453-887179 or via email hello at hhhmortgages.com.